see. We're going to get the call here. We're getting the right call. That's all that matters. After review, good goal. Good goal. After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got a goal. What's up, guys? Welcome back here for another episode of Rangers Review. Steven, we've had a pretty eventful week for the Rangers. Not necessarily a great one when it comes to wins and losses. And I will like to say that I'm now two for two back-to-back weeks. We're predicting the it, everything to be right, one and two this week. And you had one, one, and one, if my memory's not mistaken, correct? Yeah, I was I was hoping to go at least to overtime in one of these games. But, um, yeah, winning winning at least one against the Bruins is good. Um, you know, they are, I feel, not necessarily the best team in our division, but the one that we struggle with the most. They are our worst uh, matchup. Um, <clears throat> so winning that game on, I think it was Thursday, mm-hmm. um, was interesting. Um, losing against the Penguins, yeah, I, I wasn't surprised there, you know, after losing 5-1 to them a couple of days before. Um, um and, and, yeah, I mean, um, you know, winning one out of three in a season like this, in a division this strong, yeah, it's, it, it shouldn't surprise anyone. But, you know, the win we did get, uh, it was it was, it was was a good win. Panarin back in the lineup, you can immediately see the impact he makes, which we'll talk about in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm just happy that finally they won an early game. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's a good or, point. Or, 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 or a, watch it. a weekend game, at least. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Uh, this week, again, while the while the Rangers didn't necessarily have a great week winning and losing-wise, there are some positives to take out of it after things seemed so down at first. Um, but to, just to summarize again, yes, the Rangers lost. Uh, of the three games, they lost two of them, uh, the first being game 24, and that was against the Penguins. They lose 4-2, so they lose back-to-back games against them again, unfortunately. Um, but then you get on to their first of two back to, uh, back-to-back games against Boston. They lose the first one 4 nothing, and then for game 26, the last game of this past week, they win 4 nothing. And what a polar opposite game. You know, in my opinion, I thought that was probably one of the best games the Rangers played easily all season. They just did not stop putting the gas. They just kept stepping on it the entire time. Panarin back in the lineup, as we know, making an impact. The most notable thing was that beautiful pass to Strom. And Strom's been pretty well for the Rangers, continuing to be. Now that Panarin's back, he's going to continue to thrive. If you, if you look at our top three players the past week points-wise, you have both Buchnevich and Kreider tied with three points apiece, and then Strom with two. And then the goaltending is going to be a big question that we're going to get to here shortly. But just wrapping up, basically, our top scores to date through 26 games, for people that don't know, it's Buchnevich leading the way, which he's going to be a big discussion piece as we get closer to the trade deadline, 22 points in 26 games. And you have Kreider right behind him, 19 points in 26 games, and he is currently tied for first all in the NHL for away goals, that being with nine currently. And then you also have Stromer, who has 19 points in 26 games, and then Panarin, 19 and 15, including a point now in his return. So overall, it was great to see how well of a, good, a game they had against Boston of all teams. They Boston did not look anything like Boston that we're normally accustomed to. The Rangers just shut them down the entire way and had a very balanced game, both offensively and defensively. And it just makes you wonder, it's like, why can't this be the case every single night? It was nice to finally see Quinn not toy with the lines much. We haven't seen a lot of games this season where he really did not juggle the lines much. That was one of the few that's few and far in between. I hope that continues because up until that point, my personal opinion was and still stands, should there be these inconsistencies that something needs to change. I I don't think that Quinn is going to get kicked the can this season. If anything, maybe it will be at the end of the year. But I think one of Oliver and or Brown Something needs to change in my mind. I feel like he has too close of a supporting cast that aren't giving him the fresh type of voices that he should be hearing, especially from a veteran, which could circle back to the whole Lenny Ruff situation. How much of a blame was really on him? You know, um, um, uh, Martin has been very solid for the Rangers on the defensive front, but what are your initial stances here? Because Rangers, a huge game over the, uh, over the past couple of games um, versus the previous two. I know Bredman's back in the lineup, but do you think he had such a big impact that it just completely changed the face of the team like that? Um, well, I think the Rangers were just lucky that they got the first goal. And this is something that I've seen this season for the Rangers. If they get the first goal, they're good to go. You know, mm-hmm. they, 
they have the confidence to to see out that game. It might not always result in a win because sometimes they still give up a lead in the third period. Yeah. But if they score the first goal, then it seems like this coaching staff is just calm behind the bench. And you you brought this up as well, but there was no line changing within the first five to ten minutes on Which Saturday. Which is bizarre. <laughs> Which is what I've been advocating for all season. Um, I'm not against line changes. I know every coach makes makes adjustments on the fly during games. That's normal. Mm-hmm. But what I don't like is that when you uh, concede a fluke goal, like the game on Thursday, where the Rangers were were keeping up with the Bruins for a good six minutes, the first six minutes of the game. Then Pasternak scores a goal from the blue line, which was a screenshot. So it was not not really a bad goal to give up. And all of a sudden we see Lafreniere on the fourth line. Yeah. We oh, see, my. I we know. See, and we see Kako with Lemieux. And we see Rooney with Kreider and Zibanejad. It made no sense at all. And this is my problem. I don't mind tinkering with the lines a bit throughout the game to see if you can get something better out of it. But the panicking, the moves that are just sheer panic after we can see the goal, that annoys me. There's zero confidence. And I think that's one of the biggest problems. And this is the I, – I, I feel that this affects the players as well because if you look at Lafreniere, he had uh, five points in four games. If you continue that trend for a couple more games, he had five points in – or six points in seven. In those seven games, he played with Zibanejad and Bujnevich consistently every game. But then after he, he doesn't put up a point for two games in a row – Quinn's like, oh, let's put Kreider back with that line, which, yeah, okay, you get that line going, but it's your only line that's working. Yeah. I mean, there was nothing wrong with Lafreniere being on Zibanejad's line, but Quinn is, it's like it's like an itch he, he has to scratch, you know? Like, he I agree, to, yeah. He, he has to, for some reason, shuffle those lines. Like, he, he should work in a casino on the blackjack table. That's <laughs> He's like shuffling so much. He just he cannot help himself, and it annoys me because you cannot build confidence and chemistry this way. If you look at Tim Stutzler in Ottawa, and I'm not going to go into the whole debate is he better than Lafreniere, but if you look at Tim Stutzler in Ottawa, he's been consistently playing with the same players. Yeah, of course he doesn't play with Stepan anymore because of injuries, etc. But over the course of the season, if you look at uh, and hockeyviz.com has uh, this great overview where with colors you can see which which players they play with for each game. And um, Alexi Lafreniere is just different dots all over the place. Every game is different. And Tim Stutzler has has played with Batherson for 20 games in a row now. He's his most consistent line mate. And then it was Stepan, and now I think it's Colin White. That's consistency. That's how you build momentum. That's how you create chemistry. You cannot expect players to have chemistry if they only play together for six minutes. And on Saturday, that didn't happen because we scored the first goal and we capitalized on it and we pushed and we scored another three goals and we actually beat the Bruins. And uh, Keith Kincaid became only the fourth goaltender since 1979 to get a shutout for the Rangers against the Bruins. So... It was it was interesting, but um, looking at the other two games, I think the first game against the Bruins, they didn't stand a chance because of the the, the line shuffling. But once Quinn started shuffling the lines, it was done. That game was over. That game was horrid. It really, was right from the beginning. It yeah, felt like exactly uh, the game against the Penguins. I felt they were just a better team on the day. I'm not going to lose sleep over over losing that game. Um, but I decided to look up uh, the production of the Rangers this season because we've been talking about how uh, the big guns are not producing and that's affecting uh, Kako and Lafreniere, right? Everyone has mm-hmm. been saying this on social media. No, it's not Quinn's fault. You know, the team's not performing and that's why Kako and Lafreniere are not, are not producing. Okay, so I looked it up. Um, we all know Zibanejad's having a bad year. That's like the worst kept secret in the world. But Butchnevich, Kreider, Strom, and Hedl are all on pace for career highs uh, prorated to 82 games. 
And that's you, great to see because we didn't expect all these career high seasons, if you will, at least the pace yeah. currently. Yeah, um, if you if you uh, if you look at their points and you prorate it to eighty two games in a season, mm-hmm. Panarin is on pace for one hundred and four, Butchnevich for sixty nine points, uh, Chris Kreider sixty points but forty four goals, uh, Ryan Strong would be on pace for sixty, which is a career year for him. Would would be a career year for him. Adam Fox on pace for forty seven as a defenseman. Hedl on pace for 41. So the team is producing, aside from Zabanajad and, you know, Panarin is, even though he's not having a career year, he's still having a better year than any Ranger in the last 15 years mm-hmm. since he had that monster season. Um, so I don't think the team is the problem. When it comes to Kako and Lafreniere, and no, no, longer you think that. <laughs> the further we get into the season, the more I look at it, it's it's getting harder and harder for me to not look at coaching here. And I had, I had a conversation with someone on Twitter about this earlier today. I'm not saying that if we would have drafted Tim Stutzley, he would have been better on this team. And this is my point. I don't think we drafted the wrong player. I think we put him in the wrong system. And it's the same thing with Kako. And 100%. if the Rangers drafted Joe Faraby in 2018, I'm 99% confident he would not put up the same amount of points this season had he been on the Rangers team. Yeah. Um, so something's, something has to change. Um, but, you know, I'll take the positives where I can get them. Panarin being back is great. Um Strom proving his value again, even though a big part of his fan base doesn't like him for some reason. Um, normally, normally with Strom, it's one because of he he does get a lot of great A opportunities every game, which is a good problem to have when you're constantly gaining them. It's another one you're constantly gaining them and not burying them. The biggest gripe with Strom is one, always having open net um, opportunities and can't bury them. And two, it's his defensive game. So those have always been the biggest gripes that I myself have followed along with. Of course, but if those two aspects of his game were as good as Ranger fans want them to be, he would be making $10 million a year. Oh, of course. I mean, look, not everyone's going to be a consistent all-star, you know, a great two-way forward. That's yeah. that's the reality here, yeah. And, and Strom's biggest issue this year is Zibanejad not performing. Correct. If Zibanejad's having this the year he had last year, then Strom in a in a in a, a second line role at center, in in his shadow, is is a very good option to have. But with Zibanejad struggling, he's been relied on more than he probably should be, and yeah. that's not that's not his fault, you know. And but. You know, Zibanejad's getting his points now. You know, he had two, had two assists against the Bruins, I think, on Saturday. Yeah, he had the first two two assists, and that was a beautiful pass, I believe, uh, to Kreider. Oh, that, that, that pass was slow motion. I'm, I was surprised. I it, 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 it actually reached Kreider. But, um, yeah, he had two assists, so he's, he's getting back into it. Let's hope he can build on this a little bit, but. And I want to throw this out here, though, to expand a little bit more on Strom. I'm not sure if you follow, but Jay Fresh Hockey on Twitter, who is great with analytics, um, had this awesome stat that he's been coming out with a war, which means wins above replacement for different types of players. And he came out with his list here for even strength offense wins above replacement. And Ryan Strom is currently slotted among all forwards in the NHL at 13th. So he's top 15. And then when you look at forwards that are more the bottom feeders currently in war, you have Mika Zibanejad. He's one of the worst in the league currently. So talk about a guy that, yes, we know Zibanejad has been slumping, but it's been a little bit worse than maybe we initially expected. And to even expand a little bit further on that with talking about analytics in particular, when you're talking about war among defensemen, Adam Fox is in a whole world of his own. You know, I think we can all agree that Foxy has been and a fantastic defenseman for the Rangers, but between the normal numbers and the analytics are all showing more and more. And the eye test, he's just so balanced. And people are going to mm. gripe him all day long that, yes, um, Foxy doesn't have, say, the offensive touch to really bury things the way that D'Angelo did during his time with the Rangers. But he makes up for it with just every single thing he does. You know, if he's not going to put up the points constantly, he's going to make sure that defensively and offensively, he's just creating so many great opportunities 
leading the rush in the offensive zone, whether it's five on five or on special teams. I know that we don't necessarily love Fox all the time on the power play. We like Miller there too, but still, I think just Fox, his numbers have blown me away, but to see him in a far different realm than any other defenseman killing the league is very impressive. Yeah, but those, just just to to add this, those stats are all even strength stats. Correct. Yes. And Adam Fox, to me, has the same problem Rick Nash had when he was with the Rangers. Oh, what, just burying? Elite five-on-five player, but on the power play, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't come out for some reason. Yeah. And um, he had that one goal on the power play where he just skated through the entire team. That to me, that's not a power play goal. That's just a rush that you finish. It's great, and it happens to be on the power play, but that's not really a power play goal. Our power play is still struggling, and I think Adam Fox is one of the reasons because every time the puck ends on a stick, the play slows down so much. And I wish we had an option there, someone who could distribute the puck quicker. Um, He's but, just very smooth. He's like a little hesitant with every single thing he does. And that's fine because that's led to his success. But on the power play, when you really need that quick snap and release on the point constantly, you're not always going to get that from Fox. Exactly. And Fox usually needs that second touch and he takes a second to to see where everyone is. And that, that gives the opponent the time to get back into position. Yeah. But that's not my biggest point with his power play. My biggest point with this power play is that no matter what happens, it's always the first unit that comes onto the ice. Um, yeah, and, and there's a big point that I wanted to bring up too. What were your what was your initial stance on the power play once Panarin was back? Because if you ask me, it seems like we took a step back once again. Um, it really seems that it just overloaded, <laughs> going back to the original complaints that we've had for the longest time. Because once once Panarin had his absence, the power play really started to click more. It hasn't yeah. been awfully consistent. Well, we've seen Kreider in better position on the power play. It just it felt a little bit more balanced. Now it feels unbelievably front-loaded once again. Well, the first problem with this power play is that just because someone is – just because they are your best players doesn't mean you should put them together on the power play. That's just not how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Um, having Panarin and Zibanejad on the same power play is overkill already. It's frustrating, in my opinion. To have Ryan Strom another right-handed shot on exactly. the same power play, it's just it's just too much, and it's it's a one-trick pony. This power play is a one-trick pony. They could they set up the play the exact same same way every time, and it's either Panarin in the, uh, in the middle and Zibanejad on the on the left, or the other way around, and but Strom on the right usually. Yeah, they never get the shot off because opponents see this happening all the time. They see it coming from a mile away. Yeah. But if he wants to go with that power play unit, there's nothing I can do to change his mind. It's, it is what it is. Oh, yeah. That, that's what this show is about, though. You know, it's my, about having yeah, these conversations. Exactly. My bigger issue is uh, that no matter who's on the ice when the penalty occurs, it's always the first unit that comes up. Even when the, the Kreider and Zibanejad line was on the ice for the penalty, even yeah. then, power play unit one is out there. Zibanejad could have been on the ice for 40 seconds already. We get a power play. He's out there. And that's just not how you run it. That's how you shouldn't be running it. And oh, who's the who's the Canadian's assistant coach? Uh, is it Burroughs? I know, he is an, I know he's an assistant with them. I don't know exactly what his position is. I think it was Alexander Burroughs who mm-hmm. uh, was interviewed about the power play. And he said that the success of the Canadians' power play was that they used the second unit as much as the first unit. And, and I is, think that's great. That's where you it, should have line distribution. This is this is what, what should happen. And aside from splitting up Zibanejad and Panarin and have each of them on a different unit, if it, it's okay to start with the second power play unit. You know, it's fine. You know, start with that unit, and then if that doesn't work, if they can get some sustained pressure, then after a minute you bring on your first unit, and they are out there against higher players because we all we see with the range on the power play is that they control the puck in their zone for a minute and a half, and everyone's tired, including the Rangers' power play, 
Opponent gets the puck, they clear it, and then the second unit gets 25 seconds starting behind their own net. Yeah. And it's it's weird to me that a coach that likes to shuffle lines so much at even strength is so Thank reluctant you. to do it on the power play. It's 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 very contradictive. You know, it's like, okay, it, in my mind, it honestly further shows – and again, this is not just a straight Quinn bashing show. Let's make that clear to everyone watching. But it's frustrating because you have a coach that clearly shows a lack of confidence, at least in what he's trying to build and his system – with constantly line juggling as soon as something goes awry. It's been few and far in between, as we've alluded to, where that hasn't been the case. But now you have the power play that has basically been the same for a year plus now. We're going last season, had plenty of success. Banjad was actually shooting right. He had upwards, he would have had a tremendous season, should have been a full one, uh, 82. He led the season, he led the entire league in goals per game, uh, percentage wise, and not even 60 games last year. But this year is not the case. He's barely been able to hit a lick with shots. Whether he's been unlucky or hasn't got enough on fine, it's been a combination of both. But you have to cut the line at some point where it's like, okay, this isn't working. We know this is not working. Let's mix it up. Maybe playing Zbanejad on the second power play with the youngsters wouldn't be such a bad thing versus having, oh, I don't know, guys like Lemieux and then Heedle, Lafreniere, Kako, Buchnevich, whoever it's going to be. But you're going to basically have all these youngsters packed on one when you already have them playing together as it is, if we're going to be talking about that third line, which is Laugh, Heedle, and Kako, I think that they should be, have a better ba- balance of veteran leadership and also the righties and the lefties that we have preached more more times than once. Yeah, and, and I'm not going to waste more time on it because everyone knows my stance on it, but it's frustrating to watch. And and every time we have a power play, I I, I don't even – I'm not even in the mood to watch it. I There was one point on on Saturday, I think, where we had a power play and I decided to pour myself another beer instead of watching the power play because nothing was going to happen anyway. And I come back and I see Keandre Miller behind his own net with the puck with 20 seconds to go. (laughs) It was exactly as I I expected it to be. Exactly. Um, I think we should... Rangers power play play is just a good time to grab a beer or to smoke a cigarette, I guess. (laughs) Um, I think this is a good segue, however, though, for us to focus on some of the possible bright spots and down spots with the Rangers goaltending situation. It's become a bigger question mark, as we know, this past week. If you look at who was the better goaltender between Keith Kincaid and Alexander Georgiev, everyone would agree it was, in fact, Keith Kincaid who had his first win with the New York Rangers, had his first shutout this past week. And let me throw this stat out here for, because as we are getting closer to Igor's return, yes, he is actually labeled as being on injured reserve. This is something that they never officially announced, but he was put on IR, but it has already cleared. He's been the seven days already. Now it's just a matter of when he's going to be healthy. Vince McCurgliano at the time recording this says, expect Keith Kincaid and net tonight against the Flyers. That we'll be getting to in a minute. But I want to know your stance here on which one do you think should be the backup or, you know, the one a one b for the foreseeable future because Kincaid this past week had a um and throughout his season in four appearances including starts and coming in relief for Georgiev has a 1.53 goals allowed and a 933 save percentage this past week however he had one shutout and saved 54 57 shots mm-hmm. Georgiev throughout the season in 12 games played is 4 4 and 2 3.33 goals allowed at 80 87 save percentage and he's seven of his last 20 and shots and saves this week so polar difference we know this Georgiev has not looked the same for a bit remember when he got hurt when uh, Nick Ritchie fell on him that seemed like that threw him off a little but he gave up a goal right after that and then he was pulled he should have been pulled from the beginning but Georgiev really hasn't been the same um all season and especially since the D'Angelo situation too nothing has been comfortable with him so I know that, yes, we have to put our gripe on the defense because the Rangers' defense has been horrid on certain games this year, especially when there are numerous guys out. But who do you think is more deserving? In my mind, you have to ride the hot hand. That's what Quinn is known for. And basically until something doesn't stick anymore with Igor hopefully back some point this week. Um, yeah, you go with the hot hand, and it's hard to argue against Kincaid at this point. But I do want to... Um, elaborate on that a little bit. Georgiev has had two bad weeks. Um, but let's not forget how he started the season. He had a shutout against the Islanders. Yeah. Um, and 
playing bad for two weeks should not erase what he has done the last two, three years. And oh, when, I see, when I see fans talk about we should protect Kincaid and expose Georgiev, no. yeah, that's, that's not going to happen. No, that um, wouldn't make any sense. I think Georgiev and Kincaid, overall, if you if you look at what they can do, their abilities, they're pretty even. I think Kincaid, I was surprised he, he wasn't signed by another team. He wasn't under contract already. He is a solid backup in the NHL, probably better than most backups in the NHL. Um, at the moment, I would just go, I would just alternate between them because if you are going to play Kincaid five out of the next six games, his flaws are going to show as well. And yes, he had a shout out against the Bruins, but, uh, and I know not, not everyone is, is a fan of advanced stats, etc. but remember the team in from him too. There, the game against yeah. the Bruins, uh, and Steve Felicat tweeted about this, the game against the Bruins where he got the shutout, the Rangers gave up zero high-danger shots. And how many times does that happen on so a given night? It's a lot easier to get a shutout if the, the shots you're facing are from areas where the success rate is very low. Yeah. Um, All and, outside. And the way the way the high danger, medium danger, low danger thing works is they look at the area where the shot is coming from, then they look at around the league what the what the shooting percentage is, the success rate, and based on that they they determine an area high danger or low danger. So if you if you shoot from the corner, uh, um, it's a low danger shot. If you're right in front of the goalie, it's yeah. it's a Danger shot because your your chances to convert there are much higher. So I'm not saying Kincaid didn't deserve uh, the um, the accolades that come with a shutout because you know he still had a shutout against the Bruins. But context matters a little bit in this case. Yeah, we we let's, we put, get- let's put some stock into it. You know, like yeah. don't put too much. We need to be aware of how the team performed. Redman back in the lab. Things were looking great. Now, exactly. exactly. I, like, I think what's going to be important too, and not to jump to uh, the weekly schedule, but just to make a note of the Rangers are going to be playing the same team starting tonight at the time recording this and in a couple of days. So if you say have one of them being Kincaid and then the other one, Georgiev, the whole lineup, the, the exact same, as long as Quinn doesn't tinker too much with the lines, that would be your biggest um, telltale of, okay, who is really performing better right now outside of what we have already seen. I think that's the yep. best way to balance it. Yeah, I mean, uh, tonight going with Kincaid makes sense, coming off a shot out, and, and Quinn has been doing this. He's been he's been rewarding goalies after a good game. Um, of course, earlier in the season when he just went uh, back and forth between the goalies, it wasn't the case. But mm-hmm. right now, and he did this with Shesturk, and when Shesturk had a good game, he rewarded him and gave him another one. So get going with Kincaid tonight against the Flyers makes sense. But on Wednesday against the Flyers, I would go with Georgiev. Um, they're both they're both backups there's no clear starter there's no clear there's no clear difference between the two it's not like one goalie is clearly better than the other to me they're on the same level so just alternate them if one of them gets a shutout or plays a really good game where he saves 44 out of 45 shots you reward them with another start that's how I would do it I agree and I think that's also perfect now because uh, we're in agreement. Kincaid will probably start tonight, and if he continues to play well, we'll get more of the upper ha- upper hand. Hopefully, Igor arrives back this week because he has been skating and everything. He's now off the uh, he's been on the IR, but he can come off whenever now because you just need that week period, right? But yeah, he was he was put on IR retroactively, uh, uh-huh. which teams can do, um, and it's it's just for for cap flexibility. It's not it doesn't generate cap space, but it gives them a little bit more flexibility. To, uh, to momentarily, to momentarily, you can go over the cap for the amount that's on IR, etc. Um, and with him, <clears throat> with his bonus structure that comes into play, it's a it's a weird season, and especially for the Rangers, we've never been in a situation where we have this many performance bonuses on the team. I know because um, you have a lot of a lot of really up and coming youngsters to put it lightly, yeah. you know. And roster flexibility is important, and uh, with. Shesturkin on IR, now they can call up another player if they have to. You know, yeah. and, and that's the flexibility that Gordon wants. And uh, speaking of flexibility, Jack Johnson was put on waivers. Yes. Uh, Good segue. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
but and, and I'm shocked. I, I gotta say, I'm, I'm, I'm a little I shocked. I think I think Jack Johnson was signed more as an insurance uh, policy in case Keandre Miller didn't work out, or in case Libor Hayek didn't really play up to standards. Yeah. Uh, but the interesting thing about uh, Jack Johnson going on waivers is that it happens exactly 30 days before the trade deadline. Makes you wonder <laughs> if there's a reasoning behind that, you know? Oh, there is. There is. <laughs> uh, so if Jack Johnson clears, and I think he he should he should have cleared by now. Yeah, he uh, did clear. He did. He did. Uh, there is yet at the again at the time recording this, it might be done by the time this is uploaded for yeah. everyone, but. We may have found out by then what's going to happen with him if he's going to be so, the taxi squad or whatever. We don't know yet. Let's assume he clears because what team would pick him up? No, no, uh, he no, he cleared. He did clear. That okay. was the official. So, okay, so he cleared. Um, yep. So now the Rangers have flexibility for thirty days because a player who clears waivers is is uh, waiver exempt for either thirty days or ten games, I think, whichever one comes first. Mm-hmm. Um. So for the next 30 days, um, the Rangers have the flexibility to send down Jack Johnson to the taxi squad because you need to clear waivers before you can be sent to the taxi squad. Yeah. Carolina Hurricanes did the same thing with Jay Gardner, which I think is a much bigger oh, story yeah. than yeah. the Rangers waving Jack Johnson. Um, but with the flexibility that comes with it, now when they uh, send Jack Johnson to the taxi squad, it doesn't impact his his uh, his salary because he's on a one way deal, but uh, we get um, we can bury I think one point one million seventy five thousand uh, dollars on the taxi squad, um, and it gives you the option to call up someone else. So if you put Jack Johnson on the on the taxi squad now, it opens up enough cap space to in a couple of weeks. Add Vitaly Kravtsov to the lineup. Yeah, and that's a great segue too, because Kravtsov, as we know, is one of the most coveted Ranger prospects there is outside of Niels Lundqvist. I know that you're a little upset to see him go now that he won't be in the KHL anymore, but it's not as bad as what Niels will inevitably be. But that's a discussion for another day. So let's get on to Kravtsov here, because he really had a strong season, a little up and down, start off absolutely scorching in the KHL, playing for Tractor, had numerous goals i think he had upwards of what nine to eleven goals within the first, like he was almost on a goal per game base especially to start the year he had a multiple game goal score streak then he was hurt unfortunately which has been something that has been a slight issue for kratzov in the past he was slow to pick up but really leading into the final five plus games of the season and into playoffs he continued to perform well if you look here kratzov has a total of 24 points in 49 games this year playing for tractor including 16 goals and eight assists and he was a plus eight and in Five uh, games played in the playoffs where they lost a series in five of the best of seven. He had four points, including two goals and two assists. He was he was dabbled with, as you know better than I do, with his line situation, where he was, his placement. So do you want to expand a little bit for, uh, further on Kratzov, what he's going to bring to the Rangers, and then I'll also touch on when exactly we might see him. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, he had a really strong start to the season. And then, as you mentioned, there was an injury uh, that, that ruined it a little bit for him. Um, and of course, my my wildest expectations were that he would put up a Kuznetsov type season. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't. But if you look at his production, it's still a steady increase from uh, the previous years. So he's he's a better player now than he was a year ago. I yeah, think the that's goal important. scoring stood out most to me this year for him. The goal scoring was great, but his overall game has improved immensely. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's. Defensively, he's a much more uh, responsible player, um, and when and now that he's uh, he's actually in New York, he landed on uh, he landed Sunday last night, Sunday night. So he has a seven-day yeah. period, uh, and then he should be cleared. So I actually don't believe it's even ten; it's a seven-day period. My okay. memory is correct. Um, I don't know. It, it depends. I don't, I don't. I'm not that well versed on the state regulation when it comes uh-huh. to COVID quarantine. Um, but I think he gets tested every three days. That sounds and, about right. And if he has three negative tests in a <laughs> row, he would be cleared. Okay. So he probably got tested as soon as he arrived. Yes. Yes. And then he'll get tested within the next 72 hours and then another 72 hours. 
Exactly. Yes. And yeah. if he, if he, I think, I think if all three tests are negative, then you're cleared from uh, from quarantine. I think that's how it works in New York. Um, but it, the timeline now is that he could probably join the Rangers uh, next week Monday for yep. practice. Uh, I don't think Quinn's going to play him immediately. Um, Unless he really just is like a star right away. It's like, okay, I kind of need a full Unless he blows him away in that one practice session, he's probably not going to play uh, the first game. Um, my my expectation has always been either the Thursday game against the Flyers or the Saturday game against the Flyers. Um, but Monday, I think we're playing Monday against the Sabres, and that's the day he would, cl- he would complete his quarantine. Yeah. To go straight – from there onto the team, into the lineup. I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe a couple of weeks ago when we had all these injuries to deal with, it would have been an option. Mm-hmm. But now with a full lineup, um, it's it's hard enough as it is to figure out who David Quinn's going to leave out of the lineup as a healthy scratch. And it really does leave you wondering, as I was just pondering this more leading into our episode, You know, the trade deadlines are right around the corner. We're under a month away now. What does this entail the fate uh, to an extent of one of a Pavel Buchnevich to an extent? I That's don't some, so. I, I don't I I hope not, but I do think that we are going to find out fairly soon, depending on the Kratzov, how he plays and his utilization, because you're right, where are you going to put him currently? In my mind, you're looking at the roster, Blackwell is on that second line. Okay. You move Kako up and then you have Kratzov starting on that third line with Lafreniere and Heedle. Or maybe it would even be better in my opinion to probably have Kratzov hop right in the top six for at least a game or so with Panarin and Strom. Panarin obviously helps because of the whole Russian connection. It's going to be easier for him with that dialogue. And two, at least have him with more established guys right out of the gate versus, say, the youngsters. Yeah. Or or you play him on the line with Buzhnevich because – That's true. And then you uh, move Kreider, though. Yeah, because Kravtsov and, and you know, I, we've been over this in a previous episode about the whole left-wing, right-wing thing for players. yeah. yeah. Kravtsov has played mostly left wing in the KHL. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the last three, four years, um, nothing has given me an indication that he's uncomfortable on the left side. I know he's listed as a right winger, but if you can put him on the Zibanej at Bojnevich line, even though I would like Lafreniere there, um, you know, it, it, it gives you, it gives you some flexibility. On the other hand, if you put Kravtsov on the left and you already have Panarin and Kreider and Lafreniere, man, this, this team has so many wingers. Um, it's going to be hard to figure out who slots in where. And this is why I think Quinn's going to take his time with Kravtsov. He's probably not going to play the first two games he's on the team. Um, but when he does, we'll see what happens. Um the more interesting thing with the deadline, which you brought up, I don't think Bushnevich is definite, definitely going to get traded at the deadline. I don't think it's he, definite either, but he, I know his value is sky high currently. He's a free agent. He's a restricted free agent. So they don't yeah. lose him for nothing in the summer. They still own his rights. Correct. So if they want to trade him, they can trade him in the summer. Um, the same way that happened with uh, Jacob Truba. When Jacob Truba was traded to the Rangers, he was a restricted free agent for one more year. Mm-hmm. Um Kravtsov and Kako have to really show they can pick up the production that Bujnevich would that would leave with Bujnevich to justify that trade. I don't see that happening at all. Yeah, uh, no, that's fair. Again, I think Bujnevich is more as of right now. It's definitely sixty forty with him staying with the team. The only way I see him for certain being dealt is one. Gordon gets an offer he simply can't refuse from a team that's really deep, looking for a big playoff push this year that has the salary to handle him and full intention to resign him. Um, so, yeah, I, I, t- I tend to agree with you there. It's just going to be interesting as we inch closer. You know, I never say no to any trade. You know, everyone can be traded. You know, the the, the same old, the age old Gretzky quote: "If Gretzky can be traded, everyone can." Um, so, for the right return, I'm sure he's available, but. They shouldn't trade him just because Kravtsov's on the team now. Oh, yeah, I'm aware of that. I think that you need to have not just Kravtsov where he's going to solidify himself, but that he already has made a quick impression. That's like, okay, say it over whatever game span it would be prior to the deadline. If that's enough to give you inclination, then okay. But again, that's pushing it at the same time. Yeah. 
Um, so we'll see what happens with Kravtsov. I think ideally I would like to see him on the third line and the battle will be between him and Gautier. Yeah. Or even Blackwell to an extent, though. You got to remember, Blackwell is one of those guys. Uh, same thing with uh, Rooney, even though Rooney should be fine. But, like, one of those is uh, Quinn's going to have to really figure out, all right, he is here to develop players. Is, he's, is he going to give more of the upper hand to the youngsters that are specifically coming here? Because it's like, hey, we need to play you him, them in the top nine, more so than focusing heavily on winning. You know, I'm as we alluded to, we much rather the Rangers lose a high scoring game or whatever it may be, and the youngsters are actually contributing because they're gaining the proper playing time they deserve. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, nothing against Blackwell, but I think Blackwell is is riding high after uh, a couple of you know good goals that he scored, and mm-hmm. nothing not taken away from from anything from his goals, but I don't think he is part of this team's future the reason he was signed was because of the expansion draft and yes once in a while you find this this diamond in the rough that that no one in the league has discovered for some reason Mm -hmm. i don't think like the way tampa did with saint louis you know sometimes you find this with this uh, this player that that just out of the blue turns into a top six player i don't think blackwell is that player um my ideal lineup would have a fourth line of Blackwell, Rooney, and Gauthier. That would be my ideal fourth line. Um, that could be that could be a fairly productive fourth line too. But so. Quinn's gonna Quinn and Gordon are gonna have to make some decisions because we cannot have fifteen forwards on the team. And, and we saw Brett Howden get get scratched on Saturday. Yep. Now well, DJ, that we, can we just take a moment to to talk about that? Okay, really? okay. We'll, we'll uh, take a moment to talk about this. this I'll be, I'll be damned. Historic <laughs> I'll be damned. moment in Rangers history. <laughs> I've been waiting for for three years. No, just kidding. Um, but yeah, Brett Howden was scratched. Um, unfortunately, so was Julian Gauthier. So it was. I know. It, yeah, <laughs> it was a, it was a positive and a negative. I think we could agree. Quinn giveth and Quinn taketh away. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, Brett Howden, I think, deserved to sit. Although I also think Brendan Lemieux deserves to sit because aside from fighting players when the game's over, what has he done for this team this season? I know. And that that unfortunately has become more relevant this this year. And this is all, and let's not forget how this situation has has been has occurred, how what created this whole situation in the first place. The Rangers in the offseason went out and signed two warm bodies, as you will for the expansion draft, expansion draft purposes, because you have to expose at least two forwards that have played a certain amount of games and are signed until at least 2022. So they went out there in free agency and picked up Colin Blackwell and Kevin Rooney and signed them for two years. Mm -hmm. And then they come into the lineup and they play well enough that, that they had, that they stay in the lineup. I mean, Kevin Rooney, everyone talks about Blackwell, but I think Kevin Rooney is the more the more useful player out of the two. But either way, they give Quinn a hard time because now Quinn has to choose, okay, who am I going to scratch? It's not as easy as scratching the guys that started on the bench or started in the press box at the start of the season. You know, now you have a really tough, tough decision on your hands. And, at first, you know, it was kind of masked by Hedl being out and Kako being on the COVID list and Panera with a leave of absence. Yeah. So you sort of had a situation where you could play all of them. All these bottom six players, you had a spot for them. Mm-hmm. But then Hedl came back from injury. Kako was cleared from the COVID list. Panarin came back onto the team. And now we're in a situation where... You have a good problem to have. It's not it's, a bad problem. not a bad problem to have, but who are you going to scratch? I mean, tonight... I, we know Di Giuseppe is on the COVID list. Is Brad Howden back in the lineup? Uh, I don't know. I can, I can only imagine that Quinn can last so long without bringing his favor back in there. You know, I mean, it just can you really justify bringing Howden back in the lineup after Saturday's game when, as a coach, you preach rewarding players for if you reward a goalie for a shutout, shouldn't you reward the team in front of him? And th- this, so, in my mind, is a testament to, okay, how much does Quinn actually hold true to his word? Because since he has become coach of this team, 
Yeah, he has at times, but it hasn't been consistent in the sense of think about the beginning of the season, for instance, when Igor actually had some strong wins. Then you have Goryevin right away. It's like, okay, Julian Gauthier just scores a goal or assists, whatever. Me, okay, he's a healthy scratch the next day, right? It's like, make up your mind. In my opinion, yeah. that that is that is probably one of the more frustrating things. Look, I, don't, I have nothing against Brett Howden. I think, look, I don't have I anything personal against Howden. I don't are happy that Brett Howden was scratched. I don't think he should have been scratched on Saturday. I think it should have been Brendan Lemieux, together with uh, Phil DiGiuseppe. But it is what it is. Um, we'll see what happens tonight. We'll play the Flyers, and then we'll play them again on Wednesday. Um, by the way, two special games this week. I, not all fans care about this, but um, tonight is Hockey Fights Cancer Night. Yes. That's awesome. Um, and, uh, yeah, so tonight, will for me, will be a special night because, unfortunately, uh, I found out in November that my mom was diagnosed with cancer, and Usually they have the hockey fights cancer night in November, but yeah. uh, so having it tonight is is I'm happy that they're still doing it in a shortened season. You and then do on have Wednesday, the hat on. I have the uh, hockey fights cancer hat on. Yep, nice, nice. Yeah, I'm my my father has one too because my mother years ago had had it as well. Luckily, she's okay now and everything. Mm-hmm. But yeah, norm, normally does hit home for me. I, I was a little thrown off at first because I didn't realize initially that it is today because. Normally, you're under the impression that's during the fall. But, yeah, it's it's always kind of a warm feeling. And hopefully that's going to be, you know, just a good all-around performance, you know, on nights like these. And then Wednesday, uh, I think Wednesday they have uh, St. Patrick's Day. So I'm pretty sure they do something special with that. Yep. Like special warm-up jerseys for the people who go to the game. Um, So, yeah. uh, And then, yeah, the other two games. Oh, no, sorry. Only one game. Uh, is it? No, two games. Oh Friday yeah, no. Saturday. yeah. We'll get to it in a second because yeah. before, I'm just, before we get, I'm, I'm we just get week round up. I'm always very confused by the times because I'm six hours ahead of you. I know. Now it's five hours because of daylight savings starting oh, in the evening yeah, yeah. Really early. So when the games show up for me at midnight and it shows Sunday midnight, that means it's a Saturday afternoon game or Saturday uh, evening game. Ugh, I will never get used to this. No. Anyway, well, hopefully, um, hopefully it transitions quick. But before we get on to the weekly um, review, what's coming this week along with tonight's game, I want to touch on here quick something that I'm sure you've been made aware of regarding C. Val Cat, the Rangers for MSG, what he has said over Twitter the past day, which has oh, led a couple of people rather confused. Because Joe Fortunato originally came out with a tweet. If you guys don't know Joe, he is part of um, uh, Blue Shirt's um, – He's part of um, Blue Shirt Banter. And he came out with a tweet just basically raving over Ryan Lindgren and saying how wrong he was about his initial stance on him, that he thought his ceiling was a um, a bottom pair defenseman. That That, that isn't the case. And Steve Alquette, as we all know and love, came out and decided to reply by saying, and I quote, I think he'll be wearing a letter soon too. And then someone asked him further, at whose expense, Valley? We can't just give letters to half the team. And then Steve said the following, I know oh, who can. and how, but I'll keep that to myself. So yeah. very cryptic. Us Ranger fans are trying to figure out, okay, does this mean that a player is getting dealt? Does this mean that someone's becoming captain? What is happening? So I have my opinions. What's just your initial quick opinion on it? Yeah, so first of all, uh, Ryan Lindgren, if someone if someone close to the organization like Valaket says – I think he will be wearing a letter soon. I think this just shows that how how different the team looks at this situation compared to fans. Oh yeah, we know nothing. <laughs> fans look at the team, and and this is and this is not just Ranger fans. This is fans of all teams across all sports. This happens in football too. There's this this notion that the best player should be the captain, and the second and third best player should be the alternate captain. That that never has been the proper way of looking at things, in my opinion, because that doesn't hold true with the all teams in the league. The LA Kings won a Stanley Cup with Dustin Brown as their captain. Yes, they did. Who's not even a top five player on their team? No, he's he's on a side note. He's actually having a very good year, so good for Dustin. Oh yeah, I mean he's he's had some down years. He was stripped of the captaincy, and but yeah. still, he won. He 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 was the one next to Gary Bedman lifting the cup as the captain. 
Yep. It doesn't always have to be your best player. And this is last year, there was this whole Zabanejad versus Kreider mm-hmm. uh, debate. I always felt Chris Kreider was a better candidate for the captaincy because of the feedback and answers that I got from some prospects that I interviewed over the last summer. Like the comments they made about Chris Kreider really made me think, okay, Chris Kreider is the guy that's going to be the captain of this team. The way he, like, he during practice, uh, during training camp, he's always the first one on the eyes, always the last one to leave. One player, I think it was Brandon Crawley, referred to him as, referred to that as Jager like. Hmm. Um, yeah. He's always there. He's always paying attention and spending time mentoring the young kids during preseason, during training camp. And that's something that you want from a captain. So Chris Kreider as captain always made sense to me if that happens. I think that's what Velikat's referring to here, that one of the alternates is going to no longer have an A on his jersey because it's going to be a C. Um, And then I guess the Rangers will still be going with this ridiculous situation where they have two assistants for home games and two assistants for away games or whatever. Mm-hmm. Ever since St. Louis joined the team, they've been going with this ridiculous system of four alternates. Yeah. And I would, look, I, I don't really care. I think it's for the jersey sales, it helps, I guess. I want to know your stance, though. What do you think this means of Lindgren? Do you think that Lindgren is just going to become an assistant and um, someone is traded? Do you think that someone is going to be boosted up to captain and Lindgren no, in that I, I think- becomes it? What is your stance? I think Kreider will be named captain probably next season. I don't think they do it mid-season. And then the alternate captains, maybe they trade away Zibanejad. Who knows? Yeah, I know. It's weird. It's weird. Again, for all we know, this could be something that doesn't happen until next season. You know, It's weird to think about, but when I think back of 2016, nobody saw the Broussard trade coming either. No. Um, and then alternate captains, what you're left with is Truba, Panarin, and then I guess yeah, Lindgren would make sense. Even if Zibanejad isn't traded, you would have Panarin, Zibanejad, Lindgren, and Truba, which is a good leadership team, I guess. But what ultimately comes down to is this, and I brought this up several times in, in chats with people, and Kreider said in an interview as well. It matters more to fans than it does to players. The players don't really care who wears a letter. Yeah, putting I a letter that- on your jersey doesn't change how they see you in the locker room. No, unless you truly adopt the role because the organization takes heavy pride in a captaincy. Because I know that there are teams that once you are given that C on your chest, they do have somewhat of a different locker room presence. Maybe it's intensified a little bit more. Maybe it's a little things. You know, there are plenty I- of players that go about their business the same. But, you know, they're just a leader, quote-unquote, on the ice. But it does kind of vary on organization, too. I know, I know, I think it was the Red Wings, where once you're named captain, you you are expected to do all these these additional things off the ice. You know, mm-hmm. you represent the team, you go to hospitals to talk to term, to, to children, etc. Um, not that other players don't do it, but as the captain, you're you're sort of leading the way in that as well. Yeah, you're but the if voice you look of the organization. Kreider, yeah, yeah, you're you're the voice of the organization, the spokesperson. Um, if you look at Kreider over the last two years, I mean, maybe it's just me, but he's always the one giving post game interviews. Always, he's definitely intensified, and I think what we picked up on a lot uh, during the off season and last season too was Mika was too. It really looked like it was Mika and Kreider standing out by far the most. So. And in the offseason, Kreider does a lot and comes back to what I said earlier, but Kreider does a lot of work with um, with especially the young guys like Robertson, Lafreniere, Miller. They all worked out with Kreider during the offseason. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Look, Kreider as captain makes sense. I know a lot of people want Zibanejad to be captain, but I think those – uh, those those cries have calmed down a bit this season with how he has performed. Mm-hmm. Although I think that's unfair because, like I said earlier, performance shouldn't dictate if you're a captain or not. Um, yeah, I, I but, agree. I mean, take just just for fun. Let's just take an example like 
Kreider, in my mind, is would be awfully similar in certain ways of what Anders Lee is to the Islanders. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's just an example of a forward that isn't your best player on the team, but one is strong, heav- heavier in the sense of can contribute defensively, can get those goals scoring up, can be a 20 plus goal scorer. Lee has been very up and down in his career with the goal scoring, but still, it's impressive. Yeah, and what I think a lot of fans also underestimate is the impact that Stahl's departure has had on this team. Um, he was on the team for a decade and a half. He he was with them uh, when they went to the Stanley Cup final in 2014, when they went to the Eastern Conference final in 2012. Yeah, no, he, he had a huge voice. He was part of those teams. He he played with guys like like uh, Prospel and Christensen. I know, I know. You know, and 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 I think we sometimes forget that leadership doesn't just mean you're the best player on the ice. No. And Mark Stahl, even though he wasn't the best player on the ice anymore, I think he brought leadership to this team. And losing him and Lundqvist and, and yes, yeah. in the same offseason, that's a big hit for a young team that also has a young coaching staff. And I think that is ultimately what we're seeing here this season. Yeah, and, and you're 100% correct. That was my that was probably one of my biggest worries heading into the season was how is this team going to adjust? Who's going to start adopting these more leadership roles that are now gone after having them for so long? You're 100% right there. Before um, we, before we move on to the schedule for next week, you know, we're we're halfway through the season. If you would have to pick a player for the Steve McDonald Extra Effort Award, who would it be? Yeah, that's a good question. It's a tough one. I've been thinking about this last couple of days. In my in my mind, just on the forefront, people would always, you know, draw to Panarin right away, just because he is the best player on this team. But I would I would give a very hard consideration for Jesper Foss. I mean, not Jesper Foss. Pardon me, Adam Fox. Oh, Jesper Foss is one I'd like. Seven years in a row feels like it, him, so, him and Zook. They were they yeah. were the top guys for the longest time. But I, I, I would mean, go. I would go with Fox. I think I would go with Ryan Lindgren. That's a good. That's a good pick too. Just because of, you know he, it feels like every night he's getting cut in one way or the other. But he's just laying his body on the line and continuing to perform. There's a difference between being the best player and the extra effort award. Yeah, and I think Panarin's going to win the Players Player Award hands oh. down. Every year is going to be here. But the extra effort award this season, yeah, Ryan Lindgren really stands out to me. That's a good pick, too. Yeah, I think one from that pair, no less. I think a Fox, too, just because of how much he's been utilized, especially since Tony being gone. You know, he's thrown out there no matter what the situation is, it would seem. And for good reason, yeah. though. He does a great job. But um, mm-hmm. now is a perfect time as we wrap things up here to get on now for the uh, this weekly schedule here starting tonight against the Flyers. The Rangers have another schedule where you just have – Back-to-back games, um, schedule-wise, at least, where you're playing against the same team. They do that twice as week. So tonight against the Flyers, then Wednesday against the Flyers, both home for those games. But then they're going to be out to D.C. over the weekend, which is going to be a very difficult strip back-to-back on Friday and Saturday against the Capitals. So what is your initial prediction on how you think that they will fare? Um, I'm going to go with uh, one, two, and one. One, two, and one. That's a good pick. I like that pick. Um, I, I'd like to. I'd like to go two wins here. I really would. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick to my guns and say that they go two, one, and one. A little bit more optimistic. And the only reason for that is one, Igor might be back this week. Two, if they continue to actually have this consistency from what we saw the previous game. Now, granted, they probably won't. But in this scenario where they do, I think that they'll have success. The Flyers have been a very up-and-down team this year. They're on the outside looking in. They're currently still right around three points out of a playoff spot versus the Rangers, who are currently seventh here in the uh, the East. And then you also have the Capitals, which are going to be the biggest hill to climb because they're currently second in all of the divisions. So the Flyers, I think they have a strong chance, far better matchups than what they had with them last year. They didn't win a lick against them all last year. But this year has been a little bit of a different story. DC is going to be huge. If they take one of those games from DC, I think that'll be monstrous for them. Just like when they've taken a couple games from Boston this year and yeah. some games have been blowouts. Others have been very tight. So I'm going to go two, one and one on the, on the um, very optimistic side. And you're probably going the more realistic one. 
Yeah, uh, we'll see. Um, hopefully they win tonight. Uh, you know, yes. special the, the theme nights are always a little bit special, and you want your team to come out and win. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruins at their St. Patrick's night uh, on Saturday, and they lost four nothing. So <laughs> you don't want that for your team. Um, so we'll see. Uh, uh, tonight, Kincaid in net. Um, second game back for Panarin. Yeah. I have a good feeling about tonight's game. Good, good. Hopefully we're not looking back just a day later and it's a complete blowout or anything. So we're trying to stay positive. But again, I, I, I agree with you. I'm looking forward to tonight and the games ahead. Uh, big week for the Rangers for sure. Definitely can be a make or break week for them if it wasn't already make or break enough being seven points out of a playoff spot. But uh, we hit the everything nail on the head. Is there anything you'd like to share before we get out of here? Um... Anything I would like to share? Anything we forgot? I don't think so. I think we touched on everything. Uh, looking forward to Kravtsov in, uh, in a blue jersey. Yes, I'm looking forward to us actually having our episode and once he's here and either he yep. played a game already or is about to. That's going to be really exciting. So thank you all again, Rangers fans, for watching. I hope you enjoyed. And as always, let's go Rangers.